Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. About 35 years ago now, they came out with this thing called the Visual Bible. And uh, their idea, their goal was uh, that they were going to eventually do the whole Bible, and they never really did that. They did the Gospel of Matthew, and I think the Gospel of John, and then the Book of Acts, and that's as far as they got. But, but the, the way the visual Bible worked is it was really kind of cool. It was the actual text of the Bible, word for word, and, uh, and then, but it was also acted out on the screen. Now, you can tell it was 35 years ago because it, was, uh, it wasn't wide format television. It was, you know, the old 4x3 version, and it wasn't high definition or anything like that. Uh, but, uh, but, but it was really kind of cool, and you can see there were two things that were really kind of amazing about it. First of all, again, it was the actual text. So Gospel of Matthew was just word for word, the Gospel of Matthew, not a single word more, not a single word less. There was like a narrator who was Matthew who was reading it, and then whenever there was dialogue happening, it was the dialogue happening on the screen. And, uh, and uh, so it was really kind of cool. In fact, in the bottom right corner, you can see where it says 616. This was Matthew 6, verse 16. So you could always tell where you were. In fact, you could even follow along in your Bible if you wanted to. Okay, so that was really cool. But here's the other thing that was really cool about it. The portrayal of Jesus was unlike anything I had ever seen before. You see, most like made-for-TV stuff about Jesus before, Jesus was this kind of brooding, serious mystic, you know? And, uh, um, and, and I mean, and that was cool. That was fine and everything like that. And, and they took Jesus very seriously, which is awesome. But, but when you actually had to put all the words of Matthew into Jesus' mouth, what you found is Jesus was a lot more than just serious. He had, he had a sense of humor. He, uh, he, he, he was very human in, in very many ways. In fact, one of my favorite moments was in, uh, not too far from this, in, in chapter 7, in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus is teaching about different things. And uh, remember that line where Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you know, don't worry about the speck in your brother's eye before looking at the log in your own eye. Well, in the visual Bible, Jesus actually grabs a wooden staff from one of the guys that's there listening, and he holds it up on his face like this, and he's like, like, why do you worry about the speck in your brother's eye when you got a log in your own eye? It's hilarious. And, but here was the really cool thing. The more I watched the visual Bible, the Matthew version is like almost five hours long. And by the way, if you want to see it, it's available free on YouTube. I found that this week. You just search for a visual Bible. You can find all five hours. That's four hours, some minutes of the gospel of Matthew there on YouTube. Can't imagine how long it took for them to upload that. But anyway, it's there. Um, it, but so here's the thing, after watching all this, the story of Jesus, and, 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 and just seeing Jesus, and seeing this Jesus that was, that was not just this brooding mystic, but was, was funny, and, and was fun to be around, and was, was encouraging, and was joyful, and was sad, and, and was angry sometimes, just the full range, by the end of it, I just wanted to be with that Jesus, now, as we got near the end of Matthew's gospel, I started wondering, how are they going to end this? Because if you've read Matthew's gospel, you know it ends pretty abruptly. Jesus gives some instructions to his disciples, and boom, it's just done. So I was like, how are they going to end this? Well, here's what they did. The very end, the, the text is done. There's, there's no more of Matthew's gospel. It's done. They just show the shot of Jesus. 
this Jesus that you've kind of come to love during uh, watching this. And he's walking away from the camera, just walking kind of down this beach by the Sea of Galilee, just walking away. And at one point he stops and he turns and he looks right through the camera at you. And he goes like this. Like, come on, come follow me, you now. Come follow me, come, come be with me. And I got to tell you, the first time I saw that, now this was 30-some years ago, and, and Betty will attest, I've gotten more emotional with age. Um, I'm more emotional now than I ever used to be. It seems like I cry, at, you know, we're watching the Wonder Years or something on television, I start crying, I don't know. But, but back then, I wasn't like that. But, but I'm watching this, and at the very end, when Jesus turns and looks and goes, come on, I just kind of burst into tears. Because I just wanted to be with Jesus so bad. I wanted to follow Jesus so bad. Now, in, in a different gospel, in Luke's gospel, near the end, there, there's this story I want to share with you just real quickly. Two of Jesus, it's, J- Jesus has been crucified on Good Friday, and now it's that first Easter Sunday, but it's in the evening. And Jesus has already risen from the dead, and he's already appeared to some of his followers, but not all of them yet. And two of those disciples, two of the, like the 500 disciples, so not the 12, not the closest ones to him, probably not even the 72, but, but two of the, the larger group of disciples, they've decided to just go home. And so they're leaving Jerusalem, and they're walking back to this town that they were from, a town called Emmaus. And, uh, and, and as they're walking along the road, it says, there's, it, it, Emmaus was about seven miles from Jerusalem. So, you know, you figure it's a couple hour walk here for them to walk that seven miles. And it says, as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them, but God kept them from recognizing him. So all of a sudden, Jesus is there, and, and, and they don't know who he is. They don't recognize him. And, and they have this little conversation where Jesus is going, so what, what's going on? You guys seem kind of sad. They're like, don't you know what happened? It, this guy named Jesus, who we thought was the Messiah, now he's dead. And, and some people said he rose again, but we're having trouble believing that. And Jesus says this to them. He goes, you foolish people. You find it so hard to believe that the prophets wrote in the scriptures wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? And then listen to this. This is, this is what I want to leave you with. He says, then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, so the whole Old Testament, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You see, folks, if you want to spend time with Jesus, the way you do that right now, this side of heaven, is by studying God's word. Because that's where you encounter Jesus. I mean, think about it. That Jesus that I fell in love with watching that show, it it, it was just the Jesus out of the pages of scripture. That's all it was, the words of Matthew's gospel. If you want to be with Jesus, the way you can be with Jesus is right there in God's word. Now, we're on this thing that we're calling the being challenge uh, these, these weeks, and we're talking about what it means to be more like Jesus. That's our mission all the time, but this fall, uh, these six weeks, we're especially studying five, we're calling them keystone habits of Jesus, five things that Jesus did over and over again in his life, and we're trying to put those habits into place in our lives, too. And last week, we looked at this idea that Jesus committed to community. He, from the very beginning, he called his disciples to be with him, and, and, and he spent time with 
people. And so we commit to being together with other believers as well, to be in Christian community. And this week we're talking about this, this second habit that, that we need to study scripture. Jesus did. But, but the most important reason we study scripture is not simply because Jesus did. It's because in God's word, we find Jesus. Whether that's in the Old Testament, whether it's in the New Testament, whether it's in the crazy prophets, whatever it is, in God's word, we find Jesus. Now, I'm going to do something kind of weird with the rest of the sermon today. Normally, we would take one passage and just kind of unpack it and tell some stories about it and, and try to learn about it. But, but this morning, what I'm going to do is I, I'm, going to, I'm going to take you through a bunch of different places in God's word. Some of my favorite passages in God's word. We're just gonna, gonna, we're gonna do this kind of fast. They even put a timer up there for me to make sure I don't go too long this morning because you get me talking about God's word, I, I could go a long, long time. Um, I did my, uh, my Greek down at Moody Bible Institute. That's where I learned Greek. And we used to have chapel all the time. And I remember one time there was this Baptist pastor and he was up there and he started going. And at one point he stopped, he took a suit coat off and he said, you all in trouble now because if I take my suit coat off, this could go a long time, right? <laughs> so I'm, I'm gonna be careful. Because I could talk about this stuff a long time, but, but I just want to kind of quickly take you through some of my favorite verses in the Bible and what that has to say to us about Jesus that we find there. So let's start, I mean, in the very beginning. And the very first verse of the Bible begins with this. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then you fast forward to the gospel of John in the New Testament, and it starts, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God from the beginning. And then it says, and nothing was made that was made that wasn't made through him. In other words, right away there, it connects Jesus into those words happening right there in creation. So, so Jesus isn't somebody that shows up on the scene just in the New Testament on Christmas, that first Christmas morning. Jesus is there, we're told, from the very beginning of the Bible. And in fact, just right after that, in, in Genesis chapter 3, um, it, it says this. It, this is now, now if, you, if you know the story in Genesis, God creates Adam and Eve. He creates all this stuff. He puts them in the garden. He tells them, don't eat that, that, uh, the fruit of that tree, uh, because if you eat of that fruit, you're going to die. And they do it anyway. And right after that happens, right after they've sinned for the first time, right after they've done what was displeasing in God's eyes, it says this, it says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. Now, the interesting thing here is the, the tense of the verb here is not the kind of simple tense you would expect, like it was a one-time thing. In fact, it's a tense of a verb that means this was a habitual action. In other words, we're told that every day in the cool of the evening, God would come and spend some time with Adam and Eve. Think about what that was like. You know, you're doing your work in the garden during the day, and it's, it's getting near evening. It's like, hey, God's going to show up soon. And God would show up and just walk and talk and be with his, his people that he created every single day. That was Jesus. That was Jesus there spending time with his people. We looked at this last week, right? But the, the main reason that God called those first disciples, Jesus called them so that they could be with him. And someday we're going to be with him again. Here's, here's another kind of favorite verse of mine uh, in the Bible. This is near the end of the book of Genesis. There, there's been this guy named Joseph, and if you don't know Joseph's story, uh, Joseph was kind of the, uh, the, the, the outcast among his brothers. He had a big family, and, uh, and those, those brothers treated him poorly. They sold him into slavery. They, uh, they, they, they hated him. They, they, they wanted to kill him. 
And all these terrible things happened to him because of his brothers and what they had done to him. And at the very end, God has been at work in his life. And now he's second in command of all of Egypt to Pharaoh himself. And his brothers, because of a famine, have had to come and kind of throw themselves at his feet, at his mercy. And they finally realize who he is, and he realizes who they are. And, uh, and they think the only reason Joseph's keeping them alive is because their dad is still alive. And, and he doesn't want to do anything to his brothers as long as dad is there. But now dad dies, and the brothers are like, oh, man, we're in trouble now. And so they go to Joseph, and they just kind of throw themselves at his mercy. And they're like, please don't kill us. Please, please don't take revenge on us. And this is what he says. He says, it says, then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I should punish you? You intended harm to me, but God intended it for good. Now think about that for a minute. He says, all that bad stuff that happened in my life, it, you might have meant it for harm, but, but God didn't. God used it. God used it for good in my life. And, and, and that verse reminds me of a verse in the New Testament. See how it all fits together. We're, we're there, we're told that because of Jesus, because what he's done for us in our lives, in Romans 8, Paul says this, he says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. See, what that means for you and for me this morning is no matter what's going on in your life, whether it's great or whether it's bad, whether it's a, a great time or whether it's a difficult time, God can use it for good. And we can see God's hand at work in that. So, so what about in the prophets? Well, there's, there's a couple places in the prophets that, that I really love. And one of them, this is Isaiah chapter 43. And, uh, and, and this is one, that, again, that I could spend the whole time talking about this morning. But let me just kind of real quick take you through this. The children of Israel, God's people, have rebelled against God again and again and again. And, uh, and so God sends a prophet to them to talk to them, to help them understand what's happened in their lives. And, and, and that's the prophet Isaiah. And this is what he said. He says, now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, people of Jacob, he who formed you, people of Israel, he says, don't be afraid. I've saved you. I've called you by name. You are mine. So think about that for a second. It says that God created you in the first place. He formed and shaped you to be the person that you are. And then when you, because of your sin and your rebellion, walked away from God, destroyed that relationship with God, it says God wasn't done with you. In fact, he then redeemed you. He saved you. He called you by name so that you could be his child. And then he says this. He says these three things. He says, when you pass through the waters, God promises, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you will not be burned. I want to take each one of those for just a minute with you. He starts with this, what he says, when you pass through the waters. Now, the, the, the Hebrew word here uh, that's used in Isaiah could also be translated as puddles. Yeah, so, so, so the image here is of the, of the little kind of daily annoyances that you and I face, Right? Um, we'll probably have to walk through some puddles this winter when, the, when we get a spring thaw and the snow's still piled up and the sidewalks are full of water. You know what that's like, right? Um, but, but, but any kind of those daily annoyances, when, when, when you're, you're already late for work and you get in the car and the car won't start. 
or, uh, or you're at work and you're overwhelmed and your boss throws one more project on your desk, or um, you, you, uh, you decide uh, you're going to go to lunch and, uh, and you go to lunch, you realize that you left your wallet at home that morning and you're not going to have lunch, or, or, or whatever it is, you get back to your neighborhood and there's that parking space that you had reserved, that you had shoveled, and now somebody else threw your chairs on the, and they parked in your parking space. Whatever that is, whatever those little daily annoyances are, that we think, by the way, are not important enough to bother God about. God says there's nothing that's unimportant in your life. He says, I'm with you. I'm with you in those little daily annoyances, those little daily struggles. There's nothing that isn't important enough in your life to be important to me, God says. When you walk through the puddles, he says, I'm going to be with you. But then he says this, he says, and, and then when you go through those rivers, they're not going to overwhelm you. And the picture here is of a river that's at flood stage. It, it's a, it's a fast-moving current, and you've got to get across. And, 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 and the fear is you're going to get out there, and that water's going to take your legs right out from under you, and you are going to go under and be swept away. The image here is of the big problems in your life, the big struggles, the death of someone you love, the cancer diagnosis, the loss of your job. Whatever those big struggles are, those big moments where you feel like you're not sure how you're going to get through it, where you feel like you're going to be overwhelmed, God's promise is you're not. Just like he's with you in the little daily struggles of life, he says, I'm going to be with you in those big moments where you feel like you just can't keep your head above water. I'm going to keep your head above water, God says. You're not going to be overwhelmed. And then he says this, and when you walk through the fire, you're not going to be burned. Now, in Scripture, fire is often a symbol for death, for death itself. I have the privilege of being the chaplain for uh, one of the fire departments out near where I live. And, and, and those guys face death. When they go into a burning building, they're facing death. God says this. Not only will you not be overwhelmed in those big moments, those big challenges in life, he says, but at, the, at the, maybe the biggest moment of all, at the moment of your death, you're not going to be burned. The flames will not consume you, he goes on to say. That's God's promise. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and whoever lives and believes in me will never truly die. That's God's promise. And now why does he do all that? Well, he ends these verses in Isaiah with this. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. Folks, if you don't hear anything else in this message this morning, if, 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 you, if you've got something else on your mind and you're distracted and you haven't listened to a word I've said so far, just listen to these words. God says to today, to you today, you are precious you are honored, and he loves you. I'm going to skip ahead to another prophet, another favorite prophet of mine. This is in the book of Hosea. And again, God's people have continued to rebel against God and be rescued by God and then rebel against him again and be rescued again. And he's trying through the prophet Hosea to get them to hear that, to understand what's going on. And he uses this incredible image. He says, when Israel was a child, I loved him and I called my son out of Egypt. But the more I called him, the farther he moved from me. He says this, I myself taught Israel how to walk, leading him along by the hand. 
How many of you are parents in here today? Do you remember when your son or daughter was just starting to walk? And, and, and you held them by the hand and, and, and you helped them take those steps and you helped them, um, especially when things got rocky. I, I remember in the backyard of our house when, when our, our son was first walking, it was pretty uneven. It you know, you know, probably needed to get it rolled or something because it, it wasn't a nice, flat, easy lawn. And so I would hold on to that hand and, and let him hold on to me while he tried to walk, right? God says, that's what I've done for you as my people. I'm like, I'm like your dad, I'm like your mom who, who took your hand and helped you walk. But it says, but he doesn't know or even care that it was I who took care of him. My people are bent on turning away from me, he said. I'm gonna ask the second question. How many of you are parents of teenagers? <laughs> you know what that feels like, right? It's like, hey, I taught you to walk. I've taken care of you all my life. Now you don't want anything to do with me, right? You know, it's like, I'll pick you up after school today. Uh, dad, no, no. I don't want my friends to see you with me. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll walk a few blocks away. You can pick me up there, right? Now, we know that's kind of part of the natural process of what happens as you get older because, you know, if, if, if teenagers weren't like that, we would never let them go to college, right? But because teenagers are like that, when they get to college, it's like, okay, yeah. You can go to college. Just get out of my house for a while, all right? Yeah, right? God says, it's like every time I tried to reach out to you, you kept turning away from me. And and so what's God going to do about that? And, And this is the verse I really love. Look at this. Look at these words of God. He says, how can I give you up, O Israel? How can I let you go? My heart is torn within me, God says. And my compassion overflows. He says, I'm I'm not going to unleash my fierce anger. I'm not going to destroy Israel for I am God and not a mere mortal. I am the Holy One living among you. I will not come to destroy for someday my people will follow me, he said. God said, it doesn't matter how much you rebel. It doesn't matter how much you try to push me away. I am not going to give up on you. Isn't that amazing? And that's echoed, by the way, in Jesus. How many times don't we see during Jesus' ministry? I did a search, and I found at least eight different times. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Now, by the way, I kind of hate it when when pastors do that. Well, the Greek word here is like, I want you to know I'm special because I know Greek and you don't, right? I I normally hate to do that, but I got to do it with you today, okay? (laughs) Because it says, when he had compassion on them, the word there is is splunkna. Isn't that a great word? And it literally means guts. It, it, it means when, when Jesus saw the crowd, he got this sick feeling in his guts. Do you ever watch uh, America's Funniest Home Videos? You know that one where the, you know, like the, the kid's riding his tricycle toward this homemade jump, and you're like, oh, this is not going to go well, right? And the kid kind of takes off, and the thing goes flying, and he's going to land right on the back of his head. I get this little, like, <gasps> feeling inside of me, like, ooh, ah, ooh, you know? That's what Jesus had when he saw the crowds. Those verses from Hosea where God says, how can I give you up? I, my heart is just moved within me. We saw that in Jesus when he saw the crowds and says he had compassion on them. I'm doing okay. I got, I got, enough, I got enough time here. One, one more of my favorite stories. 
This is in the Gospel of John, and this is, uh, all these other stories, we've seen echoes of Jesus in them, right? But, but this one's actually in Jesus. It, it's, in, it's in John chapter 4, and it says, so he left Judea and returned to Galilee. So he's down here near Jerusalem, and he's going up here to Galilee. And it says he, he had to go through Samaria on the way. Now, if you know the geography, right now you'd be going, What? See, it's kind of like this. If I was in Milwaukee, and I said, and I, and I had to go to Valparaiso, Indiana, and it said, and I had to go through downtown Chicago, you'd be going, no, you don't. Stay on 294, dude. You can, you can just bypass the whole city and all the traffic. You don't have to go through the city. And, and, and that's what Jesus could have done. It's what he should have done. If he was going from Judea to Samaria, he should have gone right here to the Jordan River Valley, followed the Jordan River Valley where there was water and where it was an easy walk all the way up to Galilee. That's what everybody did. Or they went over here to the Mediterranean Sea Coast and did the same thing where it was easy to walk and there was water all the way up. But it says, no, Jesus had to go through Samaria. And you're like, wait, why? Why would you go through Samaria? It was hilly, it was rocky, there was no food, there was no water, the people there hated you. Why would you do that? So we're told that Jesus, who was tired from a long walk, sits wearily uh, beside a well, and we're told it's about noontime. And we're told his disciples aren't there because they've gone into the village to try to find some food. So here's Jesus, now in Samaria, and he's tired and he's thirsty, and there's this well there, but he can't get any water out of the well because he doesn't have anything to draw water with. And it's noontime, getting to be the hottest time of the day. And we're told this woman comes by herself to draw water. Now, again, if you know the culture, all kinds of alarm bells should be going off here because, first of all, the women in the culture would not come draw water in the hottest point of the day. That was stupid. They'd go first thing in the morning when it was still cool. And maybe last thing in the evening when it had cooled off. Nobody went to draw water in the middle of the day. And nobody went alone. That was dangerous. The the time in the morning when the women from the village would go draw water together was their their communal time, their gossip time, their get-to-be-together-with-other-women time. It was was their chance to, 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 to be together with others. And here's this woman by herself at noon. Why? So Jesus says to her, he goes, hey, um, give me something to drink, would you? And and she's stunned. She's like, first of all, you're a Jew, and Jews don't have anything to do with Samaritans. And by the way, you're a man, and I'm a woman. You're not even supposed to be talking to me. And, and, And by the way, later, when Jesus' disciples show up and they see him, it says they were stunned that he was talking to a woman. It just didn't happen. And, uh, and so Jesus and this woman end up having this kind of amazing conversation, kind of back and forth. Jesus says to her, he says, if you only knew the gift God was, has for you and who is speaking to you, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And she goes, well, give me this living water. Then I'm not going to have to come here and draw water every day because I'll have this living water and I won't be thirsty anymore. And Jesus says, well, go get your husband. And she goes, I don't have a husband. And Jesus goes, you're right. You don't have a husband. In fact, you're living with a guy right now and you've had five husbands. And now we know why she's coming by herself in the middle of the day. Other women in the village don't want anything to do with this woman. She's got a pretty, pretty rough past. And, uh, and, and her present isn't very good right now either. 
And, uh, and, and the woman is obviously embarrassed that Jesus knows this about her, that he called it out. And so she tries to change the subject, but, but Jesus just keeps pressing on and he says to her, believe me, woman, uh, the time is coming. And he, he's kind of addressing one of her questions that she'd asked. And she says, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And, she's, and he says to her, I'm the Messiah. Now, here's another shocking thing in this story. Uh, because Jesus has been with his disciples. He's been with the religious leaders. He just had this long conversation in the previous chapter with this guy named Nicodemus, who was one of the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the day. He's talked to all these different people, done all these different things, and he has not admitted to a single person that he's the Messiah, not yet, until this woman, a Samaritan woman who is an outcast in her village. It's the first person that Jesus tells, I'm the Messiah. I'm the promised one. Isn't that amazing? And, and by the way, an amazing thing happens. Uh, she leaves her water jar and goes running back to the village to tell everybody in the village, all these people that hate her, about Jesus. And you know what she says? Look at what she says. She says, he told me everything I ever did. Now think about that for a minute. Her testimony is, I know what you guys think of me, and guess what? You're right, and Jesus knew it all. You got to go see this guy. And it says many people in the village came to believe through her testimony. Isn't that amazing? The first and most successful evangelist in John's gospel is the Samaritan woman at the well, who Jesus knew was a sinner and didn't care. And just showed her his love and compassion and grace. Isn't that amazing? Folks, I, I told you before, I could go on and on and on. There are all these stories in the Bible that when we, when we, when we study and when we, when we peel back the onion just a little bit and look at the layers in them, what we find over and over and over again is this God who is compassionate for us, who just wants to be with us, who loves us. Now, there's this verse in 2 Timothy 3 that says this. It says, all scripture is inspired by God. By the way, that's the same word there that's used for in the very beginning when God creates Adam. Do you remember how he creates him? He forms him out of the dust of the ground, and then it says he breathes into him life. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God. And it says it's useful to teach us what is true. Boy, we need truth in this world, don't we? And to make us realize what is wrong in our lives, it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The Bible's an amazing book, but more than anything else, the Bible tells us who Jesus is. It's where we encounter Jesus. Now, I want to be honest with you. The more you read the Bible, the more you will find that there are, there are some things in the Bible that don't always make sense. I, I'm still trying to make sense of some of the things that God tells his people to do in the Old Testament. Those holy wars in the Old Testament are hard to, hard to make sense of. The Bible isn't always clear. You want to talk about the subject of predestination and the fact that God knew us beforehand and, and, and God chose us to be his children, yet he didn't choose others, but he must have chose others because he says he desires all people to be saved. <laughs> it's, it's not real clear. 
And the Bible is full of mysteries. Here's one of my favorite ones. You know, Moses is not allowed to go into the promised land. He dies, and it says God buries him on this hill. Um, And then when Jesus is transfigured on this mountain, there's three people that show up and talk to him, and one of them is Moses. And you're like, well, wait a minute. The other two people are already up in heaven. Did Moses get up to heaven somehow? And then in the book of Jude, it's, he kind of offhandedly says, hey, you gotta, you, know, you gotta keep your temper. You, can't, you gotta be cool. You can't lose your temper. You gotta stay cool like Michael did when he was arguing with Satan over Moses' body. And then he goes right out. I'm like, wait, what? That's, like, that's the whole story. You don't know any more than that, right? So the Bible has these mysteries too. But the, but the fact is, The Bible's where you meet Jesus. And so I I just want to encourage you, if if you don't have a regular way of studying God's word, of being in God's word every day, man, I I pray that you do that. Maybe it's as simple as you get the Bible app on your phone. Just Bible, just go into the the app store and look, look for the word Bible, just the Bible app. It's a free app put out by this thing called Life Church, and you can just get a daily Bible verse or daily reading plans. Or, or maybe it's just do what a friend of mine does. Every morning, he just grabs his Bible first thing as he gets out of bed, grabs his Bible, just opens it to a random page and just reads a few verses until something really strikes him. Whatever it is, if, if you're not in God's Word every day, you're just missing an amazing opportunity. Start simple, a verse of the day or something like that, and, and, and just see what God does. Years, years ago, I was listening to a podcast from a, a, a pastor I really respect. Um, one, pastor, one of the largest multi-site churches in the country. And, uh, um, and they were talking to him and they, and they said, the, the guy said, I got one last question for you. Um, if you had a wish for the people that are part of your church at all your sites, what would, what would that wish be? What would that dream be? And he said, it would be that every one of them is hearing from God and his word every day. He said, that's it, that's it. He said, if just that happened, it would transform our church. So that's my prayer for you and for me. It's what we're gonna read about and study about this week. What if we were just in God's word, listening to God every day, just that? I would would accomplish amazing thing in our lives. Would you you pray with me? Lord, again, I, I thank you for the amazing gift of your word. The incredible blessing that your word is in my life and and can be in all of our lives. And and Lord, your word is useful for so many things in my life. It does help me see what's wrong in my life and help me get that fixed. It does help me understand what truth is in, in a world that has real problems with truth every day. But most of all, more than anything else, your word shows me Jesus. It reveals your heart, your compassion, Um, your plan, your kindness, your care. Lord, I can't wait to be in heaven someday and to be able to walk up to you and give you a hug. I I can't wait to actually sit at your feet and hear you teach and, and, and talk. But Lord, until then, help me find you in the pages of scripture. In your name we pray, amen.